Hey everyone, it's your host of See Jurassic Right, Stephen Ray Morris here, just dropping in to say, I hope you've been enjoying all the new episodes in 2023 and 2024 so far. There are new interviews with filmmakers, musicians, scientists, the screenwriter of Land Before Time, audio essays about the rich history of the Jurassic Park and Jurassic World franchise, and all the news about the upcoming animated show Jurassic World Chaos Theory and the as-of-yet untitled Jurassic World sequel coming next summer. I really need your help supporting the show right now, and you can do that by leaving a tip and or giving a monthly follow on Patreon, patreon.com slash There are $1 and $5 tiers, but more is coming. Sharing the show, giving five-star reviews in Apple Podcasts, and liking and commenting on social, at Stephen Ray Morris on Instagram and Twitter, goes a long way to help boosting the show's visibility again online in this new era. I'm an independent podcaster and your support is so important and means the world to me in keeping this podcast running. Link to the Patreon is in the show notes. Hold on to your butts. Thank you. And now on to the show. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. everyone, Stephen Ray Morris here with another Raptor Reactions for See Jurassic, right? It's it's uh, it's another rea- Raptor Reactions video, or video, um, unboxing. No, another Raptor Reactions podcast in the last few days. Again, a lot's been happening, and I just wanted to wish everyone, uh, I hope you had a very happy um, 25th anniversary of Jurassic Park. Uh, wow, 25 years. It's It's unbelievable but um i mean this year just feels like such a big i mean not only with fallen kingdom coming out but it just really feels like this has been not only you know jurassic june but it's been the year of jurassic especially in my life um since you know i've been doing see jurassic right now for a little over a year um and yeah i you know today i was pretty much have been traveling since 3 a.m uh, coming back from London and my little English, uh, uh, my English Jurassic dinosaur adventure, um, to see Fallen Kingdom. Um, if you haven't caught up with the non-spoiler review, um, uh, I've seen it three times now. Um, and yeah, so, you know, I'm looking forward to sharing those thoughts at the end of the month in the main episode. Um, 
But today I just wanted to basically as I was heading back, I watched the movie. I watched Jurassic Park um, on the plane back, which was interesting because I'd never I've never watched the whole movie on my phone and I've never watched the movie with headphones. So that was interesting. Um, and so what I wanted to do, because I just wanted to keep it casual and, you know, it's it's funny because it was, you know, we did a lot of celebrating of Jurassic Park's 25th anniversary back in May for the Universal event um, where I got to see it again on the big screen. But and in a, weird, in a way, I feel like what I want to talk about today feels kind of appropriate to this sort of hunkering down on a plane and watching it um, because uh, for the Patreon subscribers, um, I also put out an episode this weekend that I recorded while I was in London where on the plane ride out here, I watched Jurassic World and I kind of did the good, the bad and the interesting uh, observations and stuff. So I did something a little bit, not quite the same, but in the same vein, which is I rewatched Jurassic Park and I sort of took down about, I have about 30 notes. So not 25, 30, uh, just sort of observations as sort of, sort of jumping off points. Um, and if you want to check out the Jurassic World um, uh, Patreon mini, so you should definitely check it out because I think I'm going to do more of those for all the movies. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of good stuff coming out on the Patreon. So, and uh, all my Patreon subscribers are amazing. So, um, you should definitely check that out. Patreon.com slash see Jurassic, right? But we're here to talk about Jurassic Park. And so again, I wrote down 30, just sort of interesting observations, things, jumping off points. This isn't your, this isn't your, you know, 10 things you may have missed watching Jurassic Park. This isn't your, you know, weird Easter eggs. This is just sort of things that came to mind or things that have struck, uh, stuck out or struck, struck out to me. Um, again, just, it's so unbelievable to think that I've been watching this movie for continuously on loop for over 25 years. Now, um, you know, just the millions of times I've seen it, and I'm sure all of you have kind of been in that same boat of, you know, just watching this movie over and over again, and you're always just going to notice something new because it is your favorite movie, um, you know, my my favorite movie. And, and um, it's just one of those things where sometimes you'll, you'll catch something and then you'll kind of forget about it. And I almost kind of wanted to treat this list as sort of, um, you know, it's not comprehensive, but it's just there's a lot of things that... I've been thinking about for a long time, even since I was a kid and other things that I just discovered just during this most latest rewatch. So um, let's dive in. Uh, so the first thing I wanted to mention was I just thought it's so interesting that the opening of the movie is this huge ceremony. And you just wonder, um, you just wonder, was every dinosaur who's coming over from Sorna uh, and Site B to be delivered to Isla, you know, Isla Nublar? to be put in Jurassic Park, you got to wonder, were all the dinosaurs treated like this? Was it, you know, 20, 20 men and women? Well, I can't confirm if there are women as part of the crew, but I'd like to believe there is. Um, you know, 20 soldiers, 20 engine workers served, you know, lead, you know, kind of led by Muldoon to, to bring them to the park, or is it just because it's this raptor? And excuse me, you got to recognize too that you know, obviously Spielberg is kind of setting the scene. He's showing how formidable, you know, these velociraptor, this velociraptor really is, you know, the big one. Um, so that there is this something that's impressive about, you know, 20 people needing to sort of contain this beast, you know, this animal from the past. Um, but yeah, it just tickles me to think that like, you know, for every Gallimimus delivered, it's all right, 20 more guys, you know, Gal to get a Gallimimus. All right, 20 more, you know. Um, so something to think about. 
Um, and then the second thing I wanted to mention briefly was I love Gennaro's little pause after he falls. So um, Restango, Resta, Restagno, I believe his name is, um, he's played by Miguel Sandoval, um, you know, the Amber Mine leader. And, you know, of, of, like, you know, there's that observation of uh, in Spanish, he's saying like, you know, five bucks, he slips or whatever, you know, when Gennaro first comes into the into the Amber Mine uh, but when he slips that first time and Miguel catches him, you can kind of uh, uh, Martin Ferrero uh, has this really great like pause to sort of like collect himself like like I'm embarrassed. I'm in a suit, but I got to carry on and continue complaining. <laughs> um, and then the next thing I wanted to mention and, you know, I'm I'm going through these pretty quickly because in a way I almost I, I'm using them as a jumping off point for you for you. And I want to hear what your thoughts are on all this stuff, too, because these are just these kind of, you know, floating observations in my head or things that I've thought about. But I'm just curious to get some of these out here, get it out there and just hear what you think. Um, and so something that I've always thought about in this movie is the level of varying aff- affections between Alan and Ellie, between Ellie and Alan and you know, because they clearly are dating in the movie. And there's that element of like, obviously, you know, Alan Graham is the main character of the movie and he is sort of, you know, on some basic level learning to love kids. And that's what this movie's or, you know, that's one part of what you could say this movie is about on a character level for, for, um, Dr. Grant. Um, and I take umbrage with anybody who says that part of Ellie's storyline is about her liking kids and Alan not. I, I don't think Ellie is, has made up her mind either way. I think, I think she likes kids, but that doesn't mean she automatically wants to have kids with Grant because I've seen it even in the tie-in material, uh, like on the trading cards and stuff. And I was like, nowhere in the movie does, is she pressuring Alan Grant to having kids or whatever? Um, I think that's just a lot of what people bring to the table, but I don't think the text, the movie itself says anything like that, but it is interesting that, um, and I know for sure. And I know that like, if you look at like some tie-in material behind the scenes stuff, like, Uh, There was like a high five cut between Alan and Ellie. And there was just definitely some like affections that were kind of cut from the movies so that, you know, relative to other Jurassic Park movies or other movies of this nature, Jurassic Park is relatively platonic. You know, really the sexiest person in the movie is is uh, not again. I'm not going to say that Laura Dern isn't sexy as hell. But, you know, when you've got Jeff Goldblum there, like lusting after everybody, hitting everybody in front of him. Uh, you know, uh, Ellie and Alan's relationship seems pretty tame in comparison. Um, but, uh, although I love that Ellie kind of, kind of like, I don't know, she can kind of see through Malcolm's charms, but she's like, all right, you can, you we can have fun for a minute, but she's obviously like, I don't know. I just, I always thought that was so interesting, but, um, but also I had a thought too, that, um, obviously, um, Ellie and Alan work together. And so I wonder when they were on the Island, you know, if they had to sort of maintain a level of professionalism, you know, I can see Dr. Grant being a more, you know, more emotionally aloof kind of person being like, hey, look, we're we're going to this island, you know, Doc, you know, uh, Hammond is going to be our investor and all this stuff. Maybe we just need to cool it with the affections. But, um, you know, overall, it's a very um, platonic relationship that is, you know, in the final product. But, um, you know, it's not to say we don't we don't ship it immensely, but I don't know. It's just always something I've thought about the way that their relationship is represented on screen in the movie. Um, and yeah, I, I want to know what you think about it. Um, because I don't think there was a kiss, but I definitely think there was like some 
oh, there might have been a kiss that was cut. I feel like I'm maybe I'm imagining things now in my own fan fictions. Uh, but I feel like there were some other more affectionate, you know, P, um, PDA moments that were kind of cut from the film. Um, and, you know, so, yeah, just just a thought. Um, oh, a little fun observation. I noticed that Nedry's having milk with his like brunch. Um, I don't know. I just think, of course, Nedry's the kind of guy who would have a uh, milk with his uh, brunch. But um, in keeping up on the food train. Uh, Malcolm has just a lot of little snacks with him. It kind of reminded me of like Larry David, you know, it's like moist toilet, a pack of gum, you know, I, I feel like Malcolm's got like a little thing of almonds in there, maybe, you know, like raw almonds, um, or, you know, sunflower seeds or something like that, like, uh, you know, um, uh, molder style and then has some gum as well. Like he's the type of guy to have gum and he definitely is like chewing gum after every you know after black coffee after you know because he still wants to like i almost feel like he probably even has like a little thing of cologne as well too like always so he's always fresh you know um <laughs> and i had this big thought because you know when Gennaro is talking to him and you know it's like you know in 48 hours if i'm not if they're not convinced i'm not convinced i'll shut you down john 48 or 24 um, I think it was 48. So I just got, you just got to wonder like, what was that call like on Monday morning where, you know, Gennaro's dead, Muldoon's dead, uh, Ray Arnold is dead, Nedry's dead, Jurassic Park is in ruins. Is Hammond like, so investors, you got, you know, you just have to wonder, um, yeah, you know, or is it going to be like the book where, were um Lex and Tim and and um uh Alan and uh and Ellie and Malcolm like were they all detained and you know living in a resort in Costa Rica until the government could figure out what was going on um very curious yeah I, it, it's just it's just interesting um you know because they kind of fly off in the sunset at the end but you know are they just flying home you know what's going on um you know I feel like in the movies, Hammond has a little bit more control. I don't think I, I almost feel like he's just going to fly them back to his, you know, his own private whatever. Um, oh, and my favorite thing of all time is the cut scene that happens when they're on their way to see the Brachiosaurus of um, of Ellie grabbing the leaf. You know, what species of Varen Foreman is this? And yeah, I mean, obviously it's not in the movie, but it's in the, it was in a trailer, but of her grabbing the leaf. And I just, I don't know. It's just to me, my, it's just so funny to me that the only kind of deleted scene really that exists where you can actually see it is, uh, you know, in, in movement form. Cause you can see some deleted, deleted moments and shots and stuff, um, in, you know, trading cards and some other things. Um, and you might be able to even see some other cut moments in the behind the scenes of the movie, but, you know, from like from a normal camera angle, whereas like this leaf grabbing moment is it exists as it would have in the movie. It's just not there. So I to me that I don't know, for some reason, the like Ellie grabbing the leaf off the moving vehicle is just such a cool moment that I almost wish it was in the film. And the the next observation I have is um, I love the sound effects in the cartoon. It's just so satisfying. As a kid growing up, it was, it was just like, like the mosquito being like, and like, um, uh, I'm trying to think what else. I mean, just the like, as it's like, as they're like chipping away and then the like tree sap, like it just is such a... Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll get I'll get more I'll get more into some sound effect things in a, in a little later near the end. But 
Um, I've always loved the sound effects of the cartoon. And I wonder if anybody else was kind of obsessed with it. I mean, it just makes you think like, did he freelance hire somebody to do that animation and all that stuff? I feel like that's a lot of people uh, who would know about Jurassic Park if they were asked to like, you know, there was some like, you know, 90s version of a motion graphics, uh, like a boutique motion graphics studio who's commissioned to make this animation for this new theme park. Wow, dinosaurs, is they can't be serious. They can't be real dinosaurs, can they? Um but that's where my mind goes because that used to be my job. So, um, <laughs> uh, and I love this little moment. So when they're at the Raptor pen and Hammond is watching everyone reacting because they were awed and amazed by the Brachiosaurus and they saw the baby Velociraptor, kind of these moments of, of awe and almost innocence. And, you know, I, I was literally thinking a lot about this, that this Raptor pen scene kind of informs uh really informs the 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 dining scene afterwards because again everything before has been sort of there's this on this innocence of seeing dinosaurs brought back to life but then this raptor you know when they're all at this raptor pen and they just see this raptor destroy this cow there's this kind of sobering reality start to set and you can really see it in ellie's face first and again i have some other observations about ellie in in this kind of way but i think she's really the first one to kind of be like oh no, what have we done? You know, I think obviously Malcolm was always doubting, but I think, um, I think Ellie to me is, was the canary in that sense. And I think, uh, then you start to see it kind of overtake everyone else. And then it kind of comes to a head in the, you know, in the dining scene where everyone is, is basically questioning now if this was a good idea or not, you know, he didn't stop to think if you should. Um, and then also in that scene, it, it says Jurassic tennis, but I think it's cut off, but I, I'm what, like, I was trying to like, you know, pay more attention to what's on those slides in the dining room scene on the projector. Um, we do know that some of that stuff was concept art for the ride, which is totally blew my mind. Um, learning that they had worked on the ride before they even started the movie. So, and go back and listen to the ride episode if you want to learn more about that. But, um, yeah, I just, I just, I just saw Jurassic tennis and I was like, what, what, what does that mean? Although, there's tennis courts. There's definitely tennis courts in the Lost World novel, and I think there are also tennis courts in the Jurassic Park book as well too. That are part of a set piece. I think that's when Ellie's like running away from the Raptors, and that the the book sequence of that it's a little bit more elaborate. And Ellie jumps in a pool, and there's all the other cool stuff. But um, Jurassic tennis. Um, number eleven is one of my favorite observations. That Gennaro is just wearing like freaking slip on loafers without socks and it's just like of course he deserved to die he was a chump like what kind of chump wears socks without a uh, uh shoes without socks um yeah, i mean i definitely uh uh didn't do that when i first moved to la and wanted to be a cool hipster and not wear uh socks um but it makes you have stinky feet so don't do it um <laughs> especially in that costa rican weather um and one of my favorite aspects of the movie as I as I get older or just kind of observing, observing, you know, just have, you know, one of my favorite podcasts, James Bonding um, with Matt Gorley, Matt Myra. It's one of those things where like Matt Gorley has just seen these James Bond movies so much that he just pays attention to like the decor and and the sort of like architecture of stuff and the set design where it's like he's not even watching the regular movie. And he's he's like he's like past that kind of thing. And 
on some level there that's Jurassic Park for me too but the one element I really love is is Lex trolling Grant you know she you know she stops him in his tracks to you know you need to like learn how to talk to kids but she's like so but obviously Lex is old enough that she's like it, she probably finds it amusing that like an adult is like scared of her um and then you know when she fakes tripping to get and then like you know grabs his hand and will let go and stuff like that i just find it so you know in in Jurassic Park movies you know we always talk about the kids and the usefulness or not usefulness of kids but i think what really made the kids in Jurassic Park what made Lex and Tim stand out was there was there was a multifacetedness to them they weren't just a one dimensional helpless kid or heroic kid i think they were just as nuanced and nuanced and complex as the adults in the movie um and uh yeah and i think i find that part of lex's character very funny and endearing now and i think really shines a lot more i think the more you watch her the more you see her character in the movie and her progression um and i just had this thought this last time i watched it because they're all when when they're going you know through the first tour of the park you know the first dinosaur is you know dilophosaurus and then both ellie and alan are like dilophosaurus and i was like did they really genuinely love dilophosaurus or are they just saying that because it's like the first dinosaur you know you just gotta wonder and i think on some level there's kind of a meta um you know a meta sort of commentary that or a meta commentary is kind of um emerged from that in the sense because we really haven't seen the Dilophosaurus in the franchise since the first one. So I think that's kind of funny that the Dilophosaurus was like the first one to hear that the characters were, um, you know, visibly excited about. And yet we really haven't seen the Dilophosaurus since the original. So I thought that was kind of uh, interesting noticing that uh, this time around. Um, and then, you know, one of the, I mean, I feel like people have talked about this, but one of my favorite things is nerdy Grant and Grant is such a, such a square, such a stick in the mud for a lot of the movie in, in ways that are kind of charming. But in, 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 in this instance, this is one of my favorites, which is, um, and I feel like I've noticed it before, but it really kind of struck me this time, which was that of course, Grant reads the brochure, you know, he's going to like, he, he doesn't need to read the brochure. Like there's nothing, there's nothing in there that's going to, he's already gotten the behind the scenes tour. Like he already knows what's up. He doesn't need to read the fluff that's in, um, that's in the, that's in a brochure. I mean, we, and we have, I mean, I have the brochure, like it's just literally a map, you know? Um, and so it's just, I just kind of find that very charming about his character that like he would still read the brochure, like, Oh, my brother is something interesting in this, you know, like, like he's an actual, like, you know, um, uh, uh you know, dad joke kind of, you know, he's already, even though he, you know, this whole movie is about him, like wanting to not wanting to have kids and learning how to appreciate that or whatever. He still does a lot of like dad things, you know? Um, and so, yeah. So my next observation is that, uh, this movie has a lot of flashlight varieties. Um, you have, and I just realized this right now too, you have the kind of flashlights in the opening scene that the soldiers are carrying. I think they're attached to the guns. Um, but the one, the first one that struck out to me was that uh, Jerry Harding, um, you know, who's taking care of the trike, like he's got this tiny gold flashlight. And then of course you have the iconic ones that Muldoon and Ellie are holding, um, that I really want one now. Like I would want one just as like a centerpiece in my, you know, forget a prop cane, forget a prop, you know, what a barbasol can. I want one of those flashlights. 
Um, and then also Ellie has the one on the hip that has the battery pack tied to her hip, like the little handheld one. So it's so funny that this movie has so many, or I don't know if it's funny, but it's just interesting that this, uh, movie has so many varieties of flashlights and it just sort of stuck out to me this time. Like, Oh, well, why? Like there's literally a different type of flashlight in every scene. Um, you know, and I believe that the one that Lex and Tim are holding that, you know, that causes Rexy to come after them, I believe that's the same as the one that uh, Ellie and Muldoon are holding, but I feel like you get a better look at it when they're holding it and not the kids because it's just like a close-up. But And then this next thing I was wondering, because, you know, Nedry is, is, is um, and they detail this in the book, you know, that sort of Nedry had figured out the, the perfect route and everything to try and get the embryos off the island. But in, in, uh, and it's never made explicitly clear in the movie because in the book, Nedry's just going to give the embryos to uh, to somebody on the boat, and then he's just going to come back to work, you know, as if nothing has happened. But you, you know, in the movie, I think it's kind of kept vague, almost like like Nedry really is going to abandon ship, and there is no backup plan. He, he there isn't this. I'm going to return back to work at, at like normal. You almost get the sense that Nedry was just going to leave uh, the island with the embryos and deliver them himself. Um, but yeah, you have to wonder like was Ned did Nedry have like trial runs planned? Did he physically ever do this like kind of shut down the power and and mock, you know, mock this run or you know, maybe he did computer simulations or something like that? But um yeah, I mean, but that again that's it just leads to that observation like w- was he planning on leaving or was he or was he just going to drop it off with uh with Dean Kundi um who played the who played the ship captain or the ship guy, the mate or whatever. Um, and I mean, again, it doesn't matter if I'm watching on my phone, headphones or in theaters, but that first Rexy attack is just so, I mean, when, when Grant, you know, is like, Hey, and then the, you know, Rexy just looks up and goes like, like that, that roar. I mean, just, I mean, it makes your hair stand on end. Even now, I think it is probably the most, perfect bit of sound design i mean maybe other than like the lightsabers or like r2d2 or something like that or even darth or maybe darth vader's breathing but i think rexy's roar that roar specifically well all the roars but that roar i mean imagine if you were there in person and you just heard that coming at you from 10 feet away i mean you would and the book does a great job of describing what it's like to be afraid around dinosaurs and be that close um but i think the movie get, i mean the movie gets it across really well just on a, like a visceral level and so i that scene just still holds up it, it just feels like you're watching it for the first time every time um oh and this is what i wanted to get to about ellie um you know she to me she's the character that is always living in the present she's always responding to stimuli um you know and adjusting her her actions accordingly, you know, again, because, um, you know, even though it's, you know, the trio, it's, it's, um, Grant and Ellie and Malcolm. I mean, really Grant is the only character to have sort of a, you know, sort of three dimensional beginning, middle end style journey. Whereas I love Ellie as a character because she is somebody that her role is to always learn and grow and sort of respond to what's around her because she's there, um, she's, she's there because 
you know, Hammond says like, oh, I want your opinion as well. And she really is actually the only one actively kind of paying attention, you know, whereas, you know, somebody like Malcolm has already kind of made up his mind and he's just looking for things to confirm his mind made up. And, you know, in a weird way, Grant is, um, you know, he's sort of like learning what's important in a way. I think Ellie really is the only one that's kind of truly responding to what's going on around her. And I think her kind of core moldability is what really makes her really fascinating and how she is usually one step ahead of everybody because they're still preoccupied by what they can't change. And so I think I just, I just enjoyed, uh, I just enjoy watching her as this kind of fluid figure, um, in the narrative. Um, Oh, yep. Again, those flashlights just love those iconic flashlights. Uh, Um, I just said those flashlights. Um, also, I always think it's so crazy to me that Dr. That Dr. Sattler, that Ellie, Ellie, come on. Um, oh, well, I'll, you know, since those flashlights is a little redundant observation, I will say you will notice who shows, uh, Dr. Sattler respect because some people refer to her as Dr. Sattler and some people refer to her as Ellie. Whereas, you know, there's there's a little bit of sexism to Muldoon because he calls her Ellie, whereas he refers to, uh, I don't think he ever says Dr. Malcolm by name, but he definitely says Dr. Grant. Um, and so I just find that really, you know, probably I feel like a lot of women in STEM go through this of, of you know, of that kind of, uh, you know, that kind of sort of embedded misogyny. Um, you know, they're referred to by their first name, whereas their peer, you know, their male peers are referred to as doctor. And it's like, no, I'm a fucking doctor too. She's Dr. Sattler. Um, but the other observation here was that she's the only person to be freaking sideswiped by Rexy. Like you watch that scene. Also, she, she, I mean, she has the best swear. She's just yelling shit, 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 like in this PG 13 movie, but that like Rexy just totally sideswipes her. Um, and I just, yeah, it's, it's, it's something, you you know, we, I don't know. I feel like I didn't really notice that growing up. Um, or I, and, but I also definitely knew when I was growing up, when I started, when I was like 13 and was like, oh, she's saying shit, teehee. Um, but she holds her own. Um, oh, and I just like this idea because it's like him and like everybody left. So was, was uh Muldoon just like bored and and pulling out all the desserts out of the kitchen or was that done before or after but I do like the idea of like Hammond rummaging around you know in the freezers for ice cream and then lighting all the candles it's, it's like he's like I want this to be a solemn moment you know he's not just gonna like sit there he's gonna like go make it a show because that's the kind of guy he is he's a dreamer he's a showman so he's not just gonna eat ice cream in the in the freezer he's gonna take it out he's gonna set it up he's gonna light some candles you know, he's going to make it a whole thing. Um, <laughs> uh, one thing I, I feel like nobody ever talks about is that Grant reprises the, you know, the life uh, finds a way line. Or he's, you know, life found the way after they discover the eggs. And so it's just interesting that, you know, it almost makes me sad. Like, I almost wish that that, um, you know, that Dr. Sattler would have would have said some variation of it as well. Like, that would have been kind of cool. Um, you know, Hammond says it in the lost world, but I just find it interesting that, you know, we don't talk too much about how Grant kind of reprises the line in Jurassic Park, um, another version of it. Um, 
Oh, yeah, yeah. So this is, I guess this is kind of two observations, but, you know, Muldoon really wants the dinosaurs to die. You know, his first line is, they should, well, not his first line, but his first line post-opening. Or, yeah, mm, y- yeah, yeah. His first line post-opening is, they should all be destroyed. Um, and then it's just, you know, when they're discussing all the options in the control room of, like, what to do, shut down the system, all these different things. And, like, Muldoon is just so quick to be like, what about the lysine contingency? Like, he's just sort of like, eh, eh, we could let them all die. That might be the easiest option. Um, and then probably one of the most inadvertently funny moments, or, like, to me, something so absurd and comedic is that Muldoon just, like, reaches up out of nowhere and just grabs a flashlight. Like, where is he grabbing that flashlight from? He's standing, or he's like sitting in the, or like sitting on a table in the middle of the control room. It's just such a, I don't know. It's, I mean, it's not really that noticeable, but then if you're watching for it, it's so hilarious where he's just like, whoop, grab the flashlight. I don't know. Rewatch that scene and tell me, like, you're going to laugh when you watch it because it's so, it's just like so cute. He's just like, boop, when he grabs a flashlight. So, um, oh, uh, I, you know, I think it's really interesting and I definitely want to do this. You do a little bit, do a, do, um, an episode or a Raptor reactions or something on when we can get into spoiler fallen kingdom material. But, um, you know, but you've seen from the, obviously Henry Wu was in Jurassic world reprised his role. Um, and so even, so I won't, I'm not going to go into any spoilers or anything like that, but, um, I just thought it was interesting that I, I it kind of didn't really hit me, but you know, Henry Wu, yes, he's only in that one scene and he has a significant part in that scene. Obviously he's kind of sparring with Malcolm in that moment, um, you know, and making conversation with Dr. Sattler and Grant and Hammond and stuff. But, um, uh, you know, Muldoon, Muldoon, um, refers to Wu or just, I forget if, um, if Sam Jackson's, if Ray or Arnold or Muldoon say Wu's name directly, but I just think it's interesting that, you know, Wu just really isn't just in that scene. He really is. Um, he's also kind of alluded to also in the, in the earlier scene where um, Grant and, and Lex and Tim find the eggs. He's not mentioned by name there, but in a weird way, I thought his name was there. So I, when I rewatched it, I like kind of rewound just to make sure I wasn't hearing something, but you know, Wu is mentioned again as sort of the architect, you know, this sort of science, you know, not mad scientist, but like, you know, he, he not only, you know, can control their chromosomes so that they all come out female and, you know, all this other stuff, but like also he has this other thing up his sleeve. So it's just a very interesting, his, his role is bigger than I think it appears on, on the page, I think in some ways in Jurassic park. But I wonder if maybe that's just because of the sequels, but I don't know. I, I, I just, it didn't hit me that he had been, that he was referred to by name again in the movie after his part in the beginning. So I thought I, I I'd pay attention to that when you watch the movie again. Um, and the thing that I love too about the kids relationship is that it really is about them kind of like learning to respect each other as people. And I, as somebody who um, has grown a lot closer with uh, my sister in the last few years, you know, as adults, you know, whereas when we were, you know, we weren't that close, I would say like in our high school years or whatever, you know, and my sister and I are very close in age and, you know, and maybe similar Lex and Tim kind of dynamics, but I kind of love, and it, 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 
you know, in that scene where they're like racing to the top and racing over, you know, it's like, what would you give me respect? And it's just this idea that this whole, the whole movie is about them kind of trading their expertise. You know, he's the dinosaur expert. She's the hacker. And it's like kind of their usefulness kind of, um, moves in an X formation over the course of the movies. But by the end, they both kind of respect each other as people. And so, um, again, just another you know point for for Spielberg making really complex um, kid characters because I think Lex and Tim are really, really probably the most complex um, you know children in sci-fi uh, and you know action adventure movies. Probably, I mean, I I I I can't think off the top of my head anybody who would be more. I mean, Newt maybe, but I mean Newt's complex for other reasons from Aliens, but I, I feel like Lex and Tim, and I would say. You know, um, again, not to get into spoilers, but I would say Macy uh, from Fallen Kingdom is definitely one of, you know, probably my favorite uh, kid Jurassic Park character since Lex and Tim. But um, yeah, I mean, Lex and Tim just they, you know, Arena Richards and and uh, and Joseph Mazzello really I, I don't think they get enough credit for those performances, but maybe they do because I think everyone really likes those kids, you know, more than most, you know, because I feel like they set the bar so high for how good, uh, you know, kids can be in movies. And I don't think anyone's really, uh, matched it. You know, I think we look to a lot of like eighties movies when we think of like now how we're kind of in like a, Ooh, isn't it funny when little kids swear like post stranger things, it kind of world where kids act like adults, but I feel like, Jurassic Park got a sweet spot where it was kids acting like kids, but they were also complex characters and complex individuals as well. So, um, I don't know. That just kind of struck out. That kind of struck out. That kind of stuck out to me again watching this. Let's see. I totally like ran out of room because the type is just getting smaller and smaller. Um, oh yeah. My favorite thing in the world is, and I always love this ever growing since growing up, but I think now just kind of being weirdly obsessed, especially with a lot of like unintentional ASMR where it is just people, you know, unboxing. It's just people putting together stuff, people building Bob Ross painting, just those kind of noises, woodblock printing, just these kind of like, like the sound of Ellie opening those little glass, like those little square glass plastic things, flipping the switch, like just the sounds for the mechanical sounds of her, you know, flipping all those switches to turn the power back on has always been so satisfying to me. And it's weird. It's in a way, I wonder if that was like my ASMR origin story was like how soothing that, I mean, even though there's like crazy alarm going off in the background, but I wonder if like, you know, if somebody could isolate that and I could just listen to Dr. Sattler, just like, you know, just doing that over and over again, that would, I would fall asleep to that every night. Um, oh, I always thought how sad it would be if, uh, if after the events of Jurassic Park, just, you know, somehow the word got around Big Tim, the human piece of toast, and then that's just his nickname, you know, growing up. And it's just reminded of his trauma at Jurassic Park. It's like, Big Tim, Big Tim, human piece of toast. And he's like, I'm not a human piece of toast. I am uh, a soft white bread. I don't know. But yeah, hopefully... Yeah, hopefully that nickname just died at Jurassic Park and never came back. Um, one thing that I always loved as a kid growing up and it has always been is, you know, Gary Reitschum obviously did an amazing job doing the 
the sound effects and everything like that. And it was cool listening to, if you go back and listen to episode 13, the sort of pre-Fallen Kingdom episode, um, Ash Blodgett talks about how she grew up going to Marine World where they got a lot of the sounds for um, the Jurassic Park dinosaurs. Um, but I always love that when in the kitchen scene, when it finally, you know, kind of peaks and Tim, you know, kind of tricks the Velociraptor going into going into the freezer and then the and then the raptor like slips and slides and it does that total like like that chicken kind of uh, like squeal. And I actually noticed the the raptor makes that noise again, right? When one of the raptors makes that kind of no- similar noise to that again when when Rexy like um, kills it, kills her, I should say kills her. Um, but that it always stood out to me of the like sliding and like that like and I was like, oh, that's so great because, you know, just finding ways to inject the bird part of that into these, you know, scaly versions of dinosaurs, you know, well, you know, some of them were scaly, um, but real velociraptors had feathers, but, um, but I thought that was like a nice little nod to that, which is cool. Um, and then, oh, you know, so. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You know, rewatching the end of the movie, it just is... I, I, I was really struck by, um, you know, Sam Neill and, and you know, he, they're watching, you know, they're watching the birds fly by. You know, Grant, Malcolm's asleep. Hammond's kind of daydreaming. You know, he his failed dream. You know, his dream became a nightmare. What am I going to do next? Kind of, you know, he's Hammond's very preoccupied at the end. You can tell he's kind of maybe he has. I mean, he either hasn't learned his lesson or he's just already trying to figure out the next steps. Whereas, um, you know, I think Alan for a moment is enjoying that uh, kind of presence that. Ellie has and you know and then he looks over at the pelicans and it's such an enigma there's there's the faintest hint of a smile um but there's sort of a acknowledgement of also what they just went through there's sort of this you know not the dream is over but what is the dream now you know because I mean probably his whole life he grew up wanting to see you know it's that idea of like Again, I think we can all relate of like we would all give anything to see dinosaurs in real life again. We would all like that is a really relate that is a genuinely relatable thing. And it it's almost weird to me if people don't, you know, and I think I'm we're preaching to the choir here, but it, it is almost um maddening how much I would want that to be true. 
um, to see dinosaurs in real life. And I, I think really at the end of the movie, there's an element to Grant's kind of smile turn that I think is maybe not grappling with it in that moment, but realizes that or, or, you know, had just grappled with it and is kind of coming out of it and, and, you know, really just being like, you know, again, that life found a way style sort of feeling of like, you know, these are dinosaurs now and, and, you know, life did survive and we survived and that kind of thing. But I, I, it, it's like a happy ending, but also I think, I mean, it's definitely happier for Grant, I think, than it is for Hammond per se. Whereas again, I really do feel like Hammond seems kind of more troubled at the end. Whereas I think Alan is just sort of like, you know, it reminds me of kind of the Lost World book. You know, it's like the the salt air is is real, and you know, it's good to be alive, kind of thing. I, th- I think that's kind of in its most basic form, but it, it it didn't strike me as how enigmatic his face looks there. It's not purely happy. It's not purely troubled or sad or or frightened. It's kind of wow, you know, like we survived, you know, like we, we made it, but what does that mean for the, Oh, somebody just texted me. I was like, what does that mean for our future? So, um, and really my last point is, you know, it, 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 there's just, there's just this part of me that still can't help but think this is the perfect movie, you know? And I love the sequels. I obviously, you know, again, I'll just say briefly, Fallen Kingdom is my favorite Jurassic Park movie since the original, but there is just something so singular and so perfect about um, Jurassic Park, and not just because uh, I feel very lucky that it's been in my life since, you know, not since the beginning, obviously, <laughs> since uh, I was six when I came out, but really the beginning, you know, the beginning in the sense of, and as I've mentioned on this podcast before, you know, it's these are the first memories, these are the first concrete kind of conceptions and thoughts about you know bigger concepts and 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 stuff and even just really just seeing my you know seeing that childhood imagination come to life and just it just you know i think has really made my life uh better you know for it being in my life and especially now i feel very lucky that i have this movie as kind of an anchor point in sort of the (laughs) chaos that is is my life um you know in all the good ways um but I'm just thankful that I have this kind of thing that can kind of anchor me to the past in a way that, um, you know, it, it feels like coming home in, in a lot of ways. So um, in that way, and in that way, it is the perfect movie, you know, um, because it's always going to be there for me no matter what form I take. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just very grateful for that. And yeah, I think that's a great note to leave it on. Um yeah, thanks everyone for listening. I, I, I want to know how you guys celebrated, um, you know, Jurassic Park's twenty fifth anniversary. I want to know how you're going to spend the thirtieth and the in the fiftieth, and uh, you know, and that and so on and so forth. And I'm so glad I've been able to spend so much of my time this year thinking and talking about this movie, about this franchise. Um, you know, it's just it's just made everything a lot better. Uh. I think for it. And so I'm very just thankful for you all as well. Um, yeah. Jurassic June. It's, this has been a packed month and it's, it's so exciting and overwhelming, but, um, I'm so, I'm so happy for it. So, 
um, yeah, let me know how you're celebrating. And um, I mean, if if you think that you'd want to hear more of these like observation list kind of things, it was really fun just to kind of sit down and just be like, okay, what's on the screen and how does it make me feel kind of just very, um, just very uh, in the moment kind of what sticks out to me. I think that's it's kind of like a fun observational exercise, but um, yeah, let me know what you think. Again, thank you to everyone for being so supportive and so wonderful um and so participatory and yeah you're all amazing um and what else uh steven morris on twitter sjr pod on twitter uh see jurassic ride on instagram i hope everyone's been enjoying pics and things from london um i'm really excited to talk about it all um a little bit on the upcoming minisode um and then as well as the you know the the main episode um that's going to come out you know about fallen kingdom will be you know more spoiler filled and stuff like that so um but in you know because it's coming out uh next week um in the u.s and i'm really excited to see with everybody there's going to be a bunch of us down at city walk um seeing it and also um at idle hour on june 22nd at uh, 7 p.m is going to be a live see jurassic right trivia night there's prizes drink specials photo booth um, it's just going to be pretty casual, but it's going to be really fun. And I think we're all just going to, I just wanted to do something to celebrate and to celebrate with all of you. Um, so if you can come, I would really appreciate it. I think it's going to be really fun and, and, you know, just, we're just, we're just, we're just here to talk Jurassic Park and, you know, drink some good drinks and maybe listen to some music and talk and, um, play some games. So, um, yeah, I'll include a link to the information. But yeah, it's June 22nd at Idle Hour, North Hollywood. Happy hours from 3 to 6. So if you want to come early, um, but there will be drink specials and stuff like that. So um, come out. It's going to be a great time. Um, yeah, thanks everyone for listening. And uh, I will see you very soon. So um, yeah, happy 25th birthday, Jurassic Park. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.